Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition Politics and Renamic. Berto is your host. Thank you so kind of being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We have to go quickly because we have a long one from uh, the a Better Human Story, Dr. Schmuckler. So we'll have a good time. Uh, let's see. Welcome aboard, E2247. Welcome aboard, Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. Welcome aboard, AVQ, Michael Rodnan, we cannot make it without all our great people around. Michael Rodnan says, from WCVB, FBI arrests mass air National Guardsmen suspected in leak of classified documents and Ukraine war. Jack, uh, about Ukraine war, Jack uh, takes Sarah, 21, charged with unauthorized removal of classified national defense information, armed agents, helicopters, a proper raid. Hey, conservatives, this guy, one of yours. He was a fool goaded into revealing classified information on disc on a Discord server, which was forwarded to 4chan, which is now a right-wing bubble extremist site. This is how the FBI and DOG would treat someone accused of similar classified documents charges to what Trump might soon face. If Trump wasn't an insider among the rich and powerful, he would have already been prosecuted for numerous financial crimes long before he willfully retained in stolen documents. Michael Rennett says, Now, for anyone wondering why I brought Trump up in the previous article, Salon, legal experts, Trump could face Espionage Act charges over new special counsel revelations. Jack Smith's team is asking witnesses if Trump showed off a map containing sensitive national security info. We know that he did that when the Russians came into the fold. Norman Reynolds said, Aquí también. Hola, mis hermos, hermanas, hermanas, hermanos y hermanas. For a minute, I saw her hermosos. Carl Cox says, as always, mashed potatoes. Yes, gravy. No. Eric Hayes is also in the house. Yvette Avery Herod, or beautiful Yvette, says, afternoon to the PDR Posse. And of course, is Egberto a ghost? Because I don't see. Hi, but I hear. I'm here. I'm here. I hope I'm not a ghost. I think you can all see me, right, folks? I don't think there's anything wrong. But we're going to be hitting uh, Michael. We're going to be hitting Andrew Schumer right now because I have some other videos I want to show and this one is fairly long. So let's go ahead and get busy. I will continue saluting all of you. Shakula here, stylist. Welcome aboard. Carl Cox, welcome aboard. Who else have I missed? Anybody I missed? Okay, I'll salute you in the chat as you come on in. Anyway, folks, it's lovely to be here with you. Uh, when I re redo our KPFT show, please, please go check it out. It's a, we had a great show today at KPFT with some luminaries, Joe Maskomskowski, as well as Tori, uh, Tori and a few others. Anyway, let's get busy with Andy Schmuckler with A Better Human Story. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right in continuation of our series, A Better Human Story by Dr. Andrew Bard Schmuckler. We're here today. Who is Dr. Andy Bard Schmuckler? It's a prize-winning author, former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia's very red Shenandoah Valley, former uh, talk show host, summa cum laude graduate of Harvard, among many other great distinctions. My dear brother, Dr. Andy Schmuckler, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, doing rather well. Doing rather well. I'm excited. Well, great to have you here. You know, today I want to touch on a topic that I'm um, that you write a lot about, uh, and it includes within its context capitalism. So why don't you tell me about that thing that you wrote about lately, recently? Yeah, I, I, the, the name of the piece is Who Kills for Money? And um, this, what we see is that every industry that 
finds itself in the position that they discover that they're what's making them rich is also killing people. We've had a, several industries that have had to confront that. Every time that industry has made the choice to hide the truth and to try to fool the people. And um, who kills for money? Well, we know the tobacco industry did. And um, I have a friend actually from uh, the fifth grade, furthest back any of my lifelong friendships go. He's the world's authority on what the asbestos companies knew and when they knew it about how they were killing their own workers. Uh, and he's made a good living going around the country. Yeah, he knows he's I've talked to him about this. I said, has there ever been an industry that made the choice to do what was ethically required as opposed to putting their profit first, even if that meant killing people? And he, he said he knew of no example. And so we got the, the, the tobacco industry and the asbestos industry. And now the biggest crime of all, we've got the fossil fuel industry. We, we now know that back in, in the mid to late seventies, Exxon and such uh, had scientists that actually, it turns out were very accurate in uh, predicting the climate catastrophe or, uh, you know, whatever is a crisis um, that was to come, given the way their products were changing the Earth's atmosphere. And, you know, they, they, so this was an industry that um, made the choice to endanger the human future in a profound way. Uh, the greatest challenge, all because this industry chose to hide the truth and to put out uh, 30 years of propaganda to deceive enough of the people that America could do almost nothing about climate change for a whole generation. Now, let me let me back you up into your first statement on the tobacco company. Kachi said the tobacco industry, as the nation knows well, conducted a propaganda campaign for decades to obscure the lethal effects of smoking. They calculated that by sowing false doubts about established facts, they could persuade many of their customers who otherwise would have given up the habit to continue buying their products and industry choosing to kill for money. But my question to you is as follows. The definition of, uh, uh, first of all, capitalism is a, a purportedly the efficient allocation of resources and somehow that does it in using the, uh, the supply and demand method with with free markets. Right. All that mumbo jumbo is what how they like to define capitalism, and they try to equate it with democracy. Which, if you know, if anyone with a with, with thinking person would understand that China is also a capitalist country. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. let me get to the question: yeah. China is also a capitalist country, and as such, it proves that capitalism has nothing to do with democracy. That said, um. Uh, the chair, the, the former god of capitalism, Milton Friedman, the economist, once said that the corporations, the executives within a corporation's sole fiduciary responsibility is to the shareholders and also their bonuses, of course. So didn't they really do the right thing based on the capitalist structure that 
they needed to do whatever it was necessary to maintain people smoking. Otherwise, that you're producing a product that has no beneficial uh, uh, aspects to it means that the industry is dead. Let, let me cut in because I hear you give me so many things to think about. And my, you know, my old brain can't hold too many. Your brain things. is not old, but continue, sir. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think it's the same age as I am. <laughs> well, so let me introduce it by saying that um, it's a good kind of conversation to have about the capitalist system uh, because people tend to think that the human world is made up of people simply acting, you know, like, you know, the whole is just the sum of its parts, you know, and we've talked a little bit about that before. My whole, my whole life's work is about, no, there's that dimension, but there's also ways in which the whole has dynamics of its own and the market system has dynamics of its own. And Adam Smith and Milton Friedman, who put forward that ideology, you know, supply and demand equilibrium and, you know, Phillips curves and all that stuff. My dad was an economist. There is a lot of truth to that. I mean, it is a very potentially wonderful tool in terms of, uh, but it has imperfections built into it that result in dynamics that take the human world in a direction that we wouldn't have chosen. And I have a whole book back here from the SUNY press from 1992 or three called the illusion of choice, how the market economy shapes our destiny. The, the system has a logic of its own. And, you know, the, 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 the faultiness of the you've got a responsibility if you're running a corporation simply to maximize profits. And I remember when Ronald Reagan said essentially that to explain why we shouldn't regulate. It's it, it, it is a uh, an engine for solving certain kinds of problems, but it has its blind spots. It doesn't. When, when it sets prices, it doesn't say anything about, well, these gallons of gas that you're burning when you go to visit your Uncle Irving are actually participating in creating a crisis that generations hence, you know, it has no idea that that value is at stake as we burn fossil fuels from the 19th century to now. It doesn't register it doesn't register what are called external. Anyway, that's why I, I developed a right. whole book, yeah. a whole book about the market has blind spots. And the only way we can safely use the market is if we understand what the blind spots are and act collectively to keep the market doing the jobs it does well without enabling it to move our whole society in directions that are bad. Well, what we see with the fossil fuel industry killing to get rich and the others is that we have set up a system that by its own dynamics will create over the course of the generations, the destructive thing that we see operating right there. I think it is inevitable that a market system, let's say that, uh, you know, we always had some of it here in the United States, but after the Civil War, it really just took off. It is inevitable that the force of greed will become embodied in the entities 
that rise to the top in a system that has these rewards and doesn't recognize these costs. The reason I, I don't believe that if you went around to humankind in general, people like you and me and our neighbors and stuff like that and said, um, we, we've just found out that what you're doing is um, killing people. I don't think that every one of our neighbors would be like every one of those industries and would make the choice to kill for money. So what we have emerging out of the human world because of the dynamics of the market system and the failure to correct for its blind spots is we've got the increasing amount of power being given to institutions that are useful in some ways, but are morally incapable of exercising the proper decisions when faced with choices. Like, do we keep killing people and give up our profits? Do we tell people what we know? Or do we deceive people into continuing to consume our products so we can continue to make lots of money, even in the short term, regardless of what that does to our grandchildren? You know, it, it's it's interesting because um, I think that uh, all the killing that occurs based on our market system is actually required. Um, uh, and I, and when I say required, I mean, if you follow the tenet of the tenets of that ideology and based on, uh, the, based on what it takes to maximize profits, et cetera, I think it's in, it, it, when we, when we talk about companies becoming monopolies, when we talk about, uh, uh, our, our, companies going overseas and destroying overseas the things that they have to destroy so that we can make a dollar they are they are following the tenets of the ideology in in my belief and now your this series is called a better human story and one of the questions of, of becoming a better human story and economic systems and all that's necessary for us to become a better human story is uh, earlier you've spoken about the gangster why allow the, in my opinion, why allow the gangster to win over that person that you just spoke about? My neighbors won't likely choose to kill. That means your neighbor would likely choose to have the tobacco industry die, uh, which is what should happen. Your neighbor would likely choose to have an accelerated uh, joint effort to move to to uh, green energy. There are a lot of things that don't fall within the domain that capitalism can't solve that your neighbor would probably want to do, don't you think? Well, the, the market is a useful tool if you correct for its blind spots. That's what, I, you know, that's what I'm saying. Now, when I said something about the gangster, um, that was in the context of talking about the system that yes, it was the overarching system of civilization, which I say generates a war of all against all. And it is in that context that people like, uh, um, you know, Trump and the tyrants of the early civilizations, that kind of gangster the bankers. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so the, the, most of my work has been focused at that, at that not economic level, but at the level of the war of all against all. But for a, 
formative years around the late 80s and early 90s, I focused instead on, and particularly as as Eastern Europe was coming out of communism, I I wanted to put out uh, the message that this is a great system, but but only if you recognize and correct for what it is blind to. So you say something, you know, what the inherent tendency of the market if it isn't corrected for, is to form monopolies and, you know, to have, you know, it's like the parable of the tribes, my theory of the evolution of civilization. You know, you get more and more concentration, and that's what was happening in the 19th century, led to the rise of the progressives and the Sherman antitrust. You know, they understood, oh, this is what happens. We end up with with a monopoly that uh, Rockefeller created in the oil industry and that Andrew Carnegie was creating in the steel industry. We got to break up these trusts and, you know, the standard oil case back in the early 20th century. This is correcting for the tendency of the market. So, you know, the, all the justifications for the market and, you know, and they are valid in their way, like supply and demand. They're all predicated on the notion that nobody has power in the market. You know, it's a bunch of wheat farmers and a bunch of wheat buyers and and nobody is able to dictate anything. That's what's required for the thing to 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 conform to what the economics 101 teaches you this wonderful. Let me stop. you. I I want to interrupt right there because I think that you just hit the nail on the head, doctor. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, It is predicated of there being a whole bunch of farmers and all these people wanting to trade and let the market dictate based on the supply and demand and all of that. But they, has, wonderful things can happen in such a system. But it has never, and it has, it, uh, to, to that, that I think for most Americans, that is a na- naive interpretation of what well, our market it's, ever was. It's still was. somewhat true. It's still, some, I mean, people respond to price. I mean, uh, a lot, you know, people, the, the car companies, there may not be, you know, a zillion of them like wheat fire, but there is a competitive industry. There is a lot of competition. But there's also, you know, when I was a kid, America took antitrust seriously in a way it 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 hasn't for years. And and one of the things that the Garland Justice Department was said at the outset that they were trying to bring back the antitrust idea. So I, I I think I think there's movement in in that direction. But we we slid a whole lot, and we have a lot of industries with a lot of concentration. And even if there's competition, there are also a lot of mm, shenanigans, collusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I guess we'll we'll have to uh, I, we'll have to disagree on that one because I I think it never really worked, and I always thought that there is a master at several masters at the top that pull the strings, and I think. Uh, you know, and go ahead. I also wanted to say you were saying you think the killing is necessary. No, 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 no. Let me let me well, qualify. But the system requires the, sis- the current system. Right, right. Requires right. the killing. I, 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 I don't see it that way. I, um, mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of ways in which the market tends to work benignly. Um, you know, it enriches the average family. I mean, you know, all the society. You know, all the societies that we look at where people are fairly prosperous and extremely prosperous by historical standards. I mean, if we go back to the 16th, you know, Shakespeare's London or something like that, or Dickens London, for that matter, you know. People's living standards have improved vastly and our life expectancy has expanded uh, considerably for a whole variety of reasons. So all of them make use of the market. 
Now, I think the problem is that the system generates entities. They are manned by human beings, but they've chosen those human beings and they socialize those human beings into being channels for the system's greed. It's blind. It's 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 continuous impetus toward how do we how do we make more money or how do we get more? So it continues to feed certain aspects of, of consumers. It feeds certain aspects uh, of the entities that are selling things. And that drives our society in directions that we wouldn't have chosen. In addition to killing people, there's also such things as we've got the most powerful entities in our society trying to sell us stuff. They are selling the idea that human fulfillment is to be found through things that can be bought and sold. Because those things that cannot be bought and sold don't register in the market. So over the generations, people are going to inevitably, unless something in the cults and the culture corrects for it, they're going to inevitably think that the way to be happy is to be a consumer. That's what the market shaped. So we need to be able to generate human systems. The better human story lies in being able to organize our systems, the market being one of them, so that what we would choose to become is what we would we do become. I don't think the Americans of capitalist uh, 19th century would have chosen a lot of the things that the market system has taken us into over the hundred and some years. I think I beg to differ on that one, but you know, uh, I, I'd ask you to posit uh, something here and tell me your thoughts on this. Uh, Western countries, America, UK, France, and all the, the, the major capitalist countries in the world, uh, you made a very strong point, which is very accurate and that uh, the, the the levels of wealth, the we- level of the society taking off and doing well, and the power of their economy has been marvelous. Um, as a person from the quote unquote third world, um, I see things a bit differently, and um, I see uh, I see a set of Western countries who take resources out of the rest of the world. Uh, add value to those resources and sell them back to the rest of the world, which puts the rest of the world in an infinite position of decline. Because again, the wealth of based on the current economic system, the wealth of those countries are dependent on those other countries uh, resources. I I hope you'll forgive me. I've done this to you before and I, I, I have pangs about doing it. Um, I don't buy that. I know you don't. Okay. And, 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 and it's not a casual don't buy. Right. My original parable of the tribes had some 200 pages refuting various aspects of, 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 of Marx. This Karl is not Marx. a Marxian, this is not well, a Marxian it, it, statement. It, okay. It's well, just a reality. Well, that's what the Marxists say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll just say that I don't buy it. Um, I remember 
I mean, I, 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 I'm a child of the sixties and I lived in Berkeley. And so I was somewhat marinated in, in sort of radical left wing thinking. And I, I encountered that, that a lot. And, And one of the things that I think, uh, people who believe that should look at back then, um, countries like, um, Taiwan, um, South Korea, um, Oh, those will do for the moment. Um, We're considered third world countries uh, because they were very poor. Um, And it was believed that by the people with a Marxist point of view, and this is this is an idea which is very central to Marxian thinking, whether you think of it as, you know, something you got there or not. No, no, this is something that I came up with on my own, but go ahead. Okay, okay. Um, I think it has turned out that the capitalist economy relishes third world countries developing into wealth producing countries. The the lefties of, of my era wouldn't have expected the Taiwanese and the Korean societies and markets being brought up into the first world as they have. I, I don't, I don't think, I think that, that, that what happened in Taiwan and, and South Korea is a perfect example. In fact, of what we're saying, uh, where we need to prop up those particular economics to economies to serve, we do. But let's give a better example and a better example. I think, that- I think that what the market would most like is for every country on earth to be well organized for the production of wealth. But under and the that captain- includes all the all the, the countries in Africa. I think that the difference is that the um, the Asian civilizations mm-hmm. had imposed for millennia. Mm-hmm certain kinds of discipline uh, for better and for worse. I mean, the Japanese are not a happy people, but they, they're the first one, non-European power to be able to challenge the European powers. So there's a power that's there. The, conf- the people talk about c- Confucianism in the context uh, of the Asian capitalist uh, uh, explosion. I, I think it is basically cultural. And I don't think that the market system is, is in any sense glad that some of the countries that are being exploited in some way, like may, maybe you agree with Nigeria uh, as a place where there's exploitation of various- No, actually, Nigeria is a great example of capitalism because Nigeria has a capitalist class within Nigeria. This doesn't, when I speak about this, I'm not speaking about it from a cultural standpoint. The Nigerian businessmen are the most effective businessmen on the but isn't planet. The country as a whole being exploited, like by the Shell Oil cap- and by the and by the the, right. the, the, the it, local capitalists as well. The, yes. the people, the people are not. I mean, the people of South Korea uh-huh. are are able to live lives that are pretty decent. Yes. But the people of Nigeria on the whole, I, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I haven't studied this in depth. I have. My feeling is that like Lagos is a place where a lot of human suffering goes on. Um, look, Lagos, a lot of suffering happens in Lagos. A lot of suffering happens in Appalachia. 
here in America. A lot of suffering happens in the ghettos and the barrios in America. We have approximately 80% of Americans who are $400 away from being in trouble. So, And do you the, think that that serves the market? I think that, the, I mean, I grew up in an America where a great many American families were rising into the middle class. Yes. Um, partly because of unions, uh, and, and partly because equitable, of the GI Bill. No, no, it's because of equitable distribution of resources. Well, that's the, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, but why was it more, equal. I said, why equitable. was it more equitable in the, in the fifties than it had to, anyway, but, but I think, I think that the, um, that the economy, you you think that there are a lot of destructive things that the that are uh, somehow feeding the market. Oh, I absolutely. Say, yeah, I say and you do no, too. They're not feeding the market. The market is making them happen, but it is not in the, it is not what the market thrives on. The market thrives on a growing middle class. It doesn't need people to be living uh, lives of desperation but, and, and doctor, want. Doctor, you're correct. The markets thrive of having a middle class that can purchase what it produces. Exactly. But, but, however, the reality is the type of purchasing that we have under the current economic model in the United States is unsustainable if the rest of the world also had that purchasing power and that ability to burn that ability. This, the, 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 the wealth of the United States is inconsistent with the potential of the wealth of the entire world. Yeah, you, you, you've restated that. And I guess uh, let me articulate, maybe we can end this little this little uh, line of conversation. The, the test uh, of, of, to determine which of us is right um, is, it could, it could be stated this way. Imagine that all the societies in the, in the world and all the segments of the societies in the world were in some basic way prosperous and well-served and provided economically with the potential for a good life. Um, you, I believe, would say that that would be so contrary to what our wealth and comfort are built on that the America of the future would be in worse shape because the rest of the world uh, that's now suffering was had been elevated into a being. In, I am in glad you said that because that is exactly what I'm not saying. But that is the impression that capitalists would like to say of my statements. Let me tell you what oh. I am saying. Let me tell you what oh. I am. Let me let well, me. Put I really the word, thought I understood. Go ahead. Yeah, this is out of my mouth now, not out of what the theory is. The theory is this: if we take the totality of the uh, wealth in America concentrated at the point one percent. That doesn't do anything for those people having that money. It, it also is bad for the economy. Exactly. But again, I never said that having a lot of wealth meant you were intelligent. In fact, that my show on Tuesday uh, spoke about the great, the people who have the most money in this country too often are the least intelligent. And if they knew that if they were a bit more intelligent, they would, that money would be dispersed better. But that said, that said, 
if you look at the totality of wealth in the in the Western countries and where it's concentrated, not in the middle class of those Western countries, not in the poor of those Western countries, but in 0.1% of the psychopaths who own it. Now think about having that structure over all those who don't, don't have. We wouldn't, we would still have skyscrapers, we would still have freeways, we would still have the other things because that wealth is just stuck saying. I own it. All the land in West Texas that is owned by one family. If Imagine if the resources from that land went to those, all the people. Can, it can would I be, di- but it's a different model. The, the, accumulative, the cumulative model of capitalism allows those people to do what they're doing right well, now. Let me jump in and, 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 and articulate our, our difference. To, yes, uh, go ahead. Otherwise. <laughs> Uh, from my point of view, you are uh, focusing um, on all the various things that are wrong. Yes. In, uh, and attributing them um, to a system that you fundamentally regard as evil. It is evil, but yes, correct. Okay, okay. I... Th- I as a student of history, I, I, I cannot see that a better s- system than the current kind of market that we see in the West. I can. Uh, let, me, let me just finish. Uh, I think that the focus should be on how do we make use of the market using the political sphere to shape it, to correct for its blind spots, to counteract its inherent dynamics that we wouldn't have chosen, not allowing concentration of power and, 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 you know, monopolies and stuff like that, not allowing pollution, not, you know, making sure that the market price includes what's happening to the environment, um, uh, counteracting the materialism that the market teaches, all the various, and not, and I don't know exactly how, but making sure that the people running giant corporations are not coming from a state of consciousness such that they would choose to hide the truth of climate change from the world. Look at what, what look at those dynamics that makes the system destructive and, and, and allows evil to work through it. Take what's good about it, correct for what doesn't work about it. That's my approach. Your I, approach is to have a different system. My okay, here, here's interesting. At least I'm guessing that's what you're I think we're right there. I think we just uh, went past each other because I agree with what you just said. Believe it or not. I agreed with what you just said, and that is take the parts of this system that works and change and, and, and fix these other parts. At that point, it no longer is capitalism. And uh, you, at that point, it is no longer capitalism. Because let me, give an, let me give an example. Let me give an example. Under capitalism, businesses are capitalized. They're made in chunk of pieces. And there's a whole lot of people that simply make money from owning stocks on a company that is traded on a stock market that is nothing more than a casino. So we can eliminate a whole lot of the bad parts of 
of what you call capitalism. You think the stock market is one of the things that shouldn't exist? Of course not. It well, should not exist. Uh, I, it's a it's a gambling casino. Well, Warren Buffett did very well by. And one of the things he teaches is that's not the way to treat the market. You know, we got human beings who act the way human beings act. But the stock market isn't isn't a problem. Now, let me ask you to ponder one thing, because uh, this discussion is going to take another going to have to go to another uh, another session as well. But I think it's a very healthy discussion uh, from two progressives at that that um, that I think needs to be had. Um, but I, I'd like to, to posit one thing, and that is to say that um, most of the people who are reigned in, in, let's say, our culture here in the United States, we cannot see that just maybe our current instantiation of the economic system just has problems as opposed to it being a uh, a disease that has to be extricated. You know, yeah. some of us simply can't see that we could have been wrong in as much as we developed a lot of riches. Of course, we developed this riches on the back of many indentured servants, slaves, and otherwise, but we cannot see that we, uh, that our system itself, the, the genesis of our system has a problem and, and keep holding on to it as opposed to say, why yeah. not do it right? You, you, you seem to, I mean, you see the, the, the system as being, as consisting of its problems more than I do. If, um, if we were to rank uh, all the civilized societies now and going back centuries and, and rank them according to um, what are the most decent and whatever criteria we've got, which includes uh, material uh, well-being and health, and uh, but it includes uh, other things about uh, how humans find their fulfillment. So it, you would find that um, at the top of the list would be a whole lot of societies that are basically um, market societies. It include uh, Denmark and it includes Switzerland and, uh, you know, and it would include the United States uh, and include Australia. Anyway, I don't know what the rankings would, would be, but I think, you know, compared to what else I know about about history, uh, um, and, and all these market societies uh, are are among the very best. And the debate um, uh, between what all of those societies have come to is the idea of what's called the mixed economy. Uh, America has, for various reasons, has had way too much power in the uh, uh, on the side of the corporate system uh, compared to other Western democracies. Uh, we could go into why that's the case. But in any event, we also have a mixed economy. Uh, and, and there was a struggle to create that. It was a struggle to uh, to have uh, the EPA formed. It was a, a struggle to have union rights uh, uh, guaranteed by the government. Uh, um, this is, 
all kinds of things have been a struggle, but we have a mixed economy. And and and, and my father was a Keynesian econo- economist. And when I was a kid, they were still fighting the battle between uh, the, the capitalist uh, political party that, that basically said, stay out of the market. And people like my father uh, and, and his colleagues who, who said in an economic downturn, what's required is for the government to step up and to fulfill the lack of demand uh, that the private sector can't do because that's the nature of the business cycle. So um, we've built a, a mixed economy, but ours is probably more skewed toward the uh, giving the destructive market too much power than we'd find in Western European countries. But What I'm saying we need to do is to build the best possible mixed economy, market system for playing a whole lot of role of processing the information of what it costs to produce and how much utility people get from, you know, that's a supply and demand thing. Feeding in huge amounts of information and coming out with something that uh, leads to results that move things in a, well, partly good and not partly not good direction. So creating the mixed economy that maximizes how much good the system can do and minimizes how much destruction it can do. That's what I think is how we should conceptualize the, the nature of the challenge with respect to capitalism. Dr. Andy Bard-Schmuckler, um, we will continue this discussion on capitalism, which there's much more to cover with respect to the histories of the world, where capitalism actually fell into the world, and whether capitalism and all the market countries are the ones who had always done the best, forgetting, of course, that that history didn't just start 500 years ago. Dr. Andy Schmuckler, thank you so kindly for having been a part of Politics Done Right. Yeah, and and we, we, we agree that one of the things the market system does is it puts a certain kind of gangster mentality into power. Thank you so kindly, my friend. But it doesn't have to if we make our economy more subject to our collective decisions. Andy Schmuckler, great guy. All right, folks, I I hope you enjoyed that. You know, um, one of the reasons I like a better human story is that Andy is a true progressive, okay, not in the lights of myself and Carl Cox and, and Rudnan, etc. But I also see that Brother uh, Schmuckler is the problem, right? It's some it, 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 if it were if, if we were talking in a racial domain, he would be list, he would be reading Martin Luther King's letter out of the Birmingham jail, right? But he represents the vast majority of those who call themselves conservatives today. He's not a neoliberal, but he's a standard conservative. I mean, I'm not not conservative, I mean progressive. He's not a neoliberal, but he's a progressive that actually has, uh, that has bought a lot of the Kool-Aid from the neoliberal domain. Why do I love this guy? Because he is trying to do good. He has this uh, website called A Better Human Story that speaks a lot about why and how we should be a better people. So deep in his heart, he wants things to go right. But deep in his indoctrinative state, 
there is still much of and you know we speak about some of this offline this is not this is a this is a conversation this is not an attack or anything like that like i said i love this guy i love how he makes me think and he makes us think about uh certain things where we may go a little bit far he kind of reins you in and say but and that is how we get moved forward um, I know there's a lot of messages I need to go through, Brother uh, Rudnan. I can't do it on here because I got another video to show. And likewise, I want to, um, I, uh, other than that, I want to put your stuff on the screen because, uh, Brother, uh, who is it? Lee Grant, have a feel, you know, Lee Grant is of the belief that somehow blue means things are really bad or whatever. The problem is that blue cities are in major major media markets and when you look at a lot of the, the the degradation in blue areas you are seeing bipoc communities and you're seeing the ghettos and the barrios and it's the reason why when my daughter landed not landed but drove through appalachia uh, uh rural ohio ru uh, the entire west virginia uh, uh rural pennsylvania she saw poverty and dereliction and all these things among people that didn't look like her that she had never seen. Yes, she was, she'd seen poverty here in the northern part of Houston, in the eastern part of Houston. She's seen it, but nothing that showed the degradation that you would find in Appalachia. We saw it firsthand, but you don't. Because you're not in a major media market and also producers at, on these TV networks don't give you a reality that, that, that makes certain people feel bad about what's happening. And that is what a politics done right is important about. We, we treat everyone equally. It's, that's just the same. We treat everyone equally. And the human condition, when he talks about a better human story, the human condition is the same all over irrespective of your ethnicity etc you put the same conditions to those people to whatever ethnicity you are the behavior the behavior you get is the same because the constancy here is humanity again i repeat the constancy here is humanity now look at uh, nor at uh, brother rodnin's graph on the screen omaha nebraska 3.4 percent of the population in opioids Okay, Indianapolis. These aren't Republican cities now. Okay, I mean Democratic cities now, or Democratic areas now. Columbus, Ohio, Nashville, Tennessee, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Kansas City, Missouri. The problem is all there. It's so important for us to stop looking at it in the blue. Looking at it, I. The reason I hit red areas so hard is because it is defined as conservative not because my brothers and sisters are republicans or otherwise it's just that those policies keep people in poverty the reason most of the states that are beggar states most of the states that are begging for money most of the states that we pay into are red states the federal government pays more into red states than red states pay out they are welfare states kentucky alabama mississippi uh, missouri um, Nebraska, all these are welfare states. California, Connecticut, New York, all these are states that provide, that pay into these red states. So when the red states are complaining about 
all the things that happen in these blue states that educates its population, gives health care to its population, it turns out that, again, you, the conservatives can talk whatever they want to talk, but they are, in fact, welfare states. Their low taxes make them welfare states. Their lack of education or putting money into their educational system makes them a welfare state. This is not something that you can't quantify. You don't have to listen to my words. You can just go see what the gov- where the government pays its money. It's right there for everyone to see. Conservative states in general means welfare state. It's that simple. The numbers are there for you to see. And I wish more Democrats would speak this way. Because when you have uh, the right-wing machine telling all these stories on TV as if uh, somehow blue cities are doing so bad, blue states are doing just fine. You come, to, uh, you, come, you come to Houston, you have a very bad homeless population, but most of the Democrats which make up Harris County are doing just fine. But you go into the rural areas of Texas and they are suffering. And why are they suffering? They don't have health care because of the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act denial. They have guns like they're in the wild, wild west and they kill each. I mean, the, the, on a per capita basis, the rural areas are just failing. Okay, and you don't have to listen to me. Please look it up yourself, not through the lens of right wing who tries to make it seem otherwise. Anyway, and you want to see something else that shows you the lack of morality, the lack of belief in your in in hum, in humanity. We are having the 2024 NRA convention and listen to the people who want to be your president. Listen to what they think. We just had all these mass murders with AK, uh, AR-15s that we know pulverize the flesh of the people who get hit by these bullets from these, uh, from these killers. It's a gun that doesn't belong in anybody's hands. It just like an F-16 doesn't belong in your hands. A bazooka doesn't belong in your hands. An AR-15 shouldn't belong in your hands. But they are there. And here is what your good friends, the people that want to represent you and the presidency, this is what they tell the NRA convention. And, and I mean, this is what they are really telling the NRA convention. Uh, we go here. Three weeks ago in Nashville, a person armed with a legally purchased assault rifle walked into a school and killed three nine-year-olds and three staffers. On Monday in Louisville, another person also armed with a legally purchased assault rifle walked into a bank and killed five of his co-workers. Today in Indianapolis, the GOP's official and unofficial presidential hopefuls are promising or expected to promise the NRA convention they will never back down on guns. Let me make you promise. As long as there is breath in my lungs, I will stand with you to ensure that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And now I am here before you as a candidate for president of the United States, and I guarantee you that I will continue to stand with the NRA. I will continue to stand for the Second Amendment and the fight that we have in front of us. 
The Second Amendment ensures that the American people have the capacity to defend their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. It's the last backstop of freedom, the foundation upon which all of our other rights rest. I am a concealed weapons permit holder myself. My husband is a hunter, and we value the fact that citizens have the right to protect themselves. And so know that you've always got a friend in me, you've always got a partner in me, as they try and take away any of our constitutional rights. The fact is, I don't want your handgun. The fact is, I don't want your rifle, your hunting rifle. The fact is, you shouldn't have an AR-15. You shouldn't have an AK-47. You shouldn't have an M-16. You shouldn't have these weapons of war, okay? And and no no matter what kind of gun you think you could have, there is no, if, if, if government, which is, by the way, we the people, the tyranny of the government, I always wonder what the hell people are talking about when they love to say, we the people of the United States, and then they turn around and say, the tyranny of the government, we the people of the United States, the, the hysteria, the, 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 the lack of cohesive thinking, government, we the people, government, we the people, we don't like government, but we love we the people. Oh my God, take responsibility for our government. Our government is ours, not the way around. And to think that you don't have influence on your government isn't what the problem is. The problem is that you are not a real, those people that don't believe in government aren't real, demo, don't believe in real democracy. It's always that they don't believe in real democracy because if the majority, look, we have, let me, let's, I am from another country and I had to take civics. I knew more about American government, American history than most Americans knew when I came to this country. To become a U.S. citizen, in fact, most foreigners, the test that they had to study for made them more apt, more competent in American history, American economics, etc., than most Americans. That's just how it is. Okay? Uh I, I can give classic examples all of the times. Now, that said, uh, the, the tenet that we learned as naturalized citizens of America, and then to come here and see that we who are naturalized citizens realize we, the people of the United States, we are government. We believe in this government that we created. And to have some Americans go out there and say, um, uh, you know, the government this and the government that. Stop leaving it to the government. It shows such a, it shows such weakness. It shows such a lack of competence in human, uh, Amer it's so, such a lack of American competence. No. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a better union, we will continue to be the government and we will continue to love our government because our government, to love our government is to love ourselves. And until you realize that and not allow the plutocrats to get you to see that hating the government is more than hating yourself. And you know what? They've been successful. If you hate the government, you hate yourself. If you hate yourself, you make bad decisions for yourself. Which is what happens over and over and over again if we can just get people to love themselves, love the government they created, love the democracy they created. 
That's what it's all about. Anyway, folks, please, 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 por favor, muchísimas gracias por escuchar lo que estoy diciendo hoy. But what we want to do, my dear brothers and sisters, is to go ahead right now and, and say, please support our program. We need your support for Politics Done Right. And how can you do that? All our support links are found in one place, politicsdoneright.com slash support. If you want to support us, you can purchase our books, purchase our, our products, per, meaning our, our T-shirts, all that good stuff, uh, purchase our books. But I'm going to give you direct links because I have a minute that I can to do that. You can, you can purchase our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books, politicsdoneright.com slash books. Look, folks, we can't do this without you. And as you see, when I bring you folks like Andrew Schmuckler or other progressive and so forth, one of the ideas that we have here is we have to look and see what's out there. Today, after I left the, um, the KPFT show, I was talking to Joe Moskanskowski, and I told him, it's not enough to be right. It's not enough to be correct. You have to be able to tell your story to others. Tell the story to others. You have to make, you have to make the story existential to those who are listening to it. A lot of people see homeless people on the streets and they feel bad, uh, you know, but then they move on. They don't see within their sphere that that homelessness affects them too, right? So how do you tell the story about the homeless that is also existential to me? Well, when I look at that homeless person, I don't only see that I am some set of misfortunes away from that eventuality. And if that eventuality occurred to me, I wouldn't want to be there. So how do we tell that story to let folks understand that that could happen to them? As an example, uh, things are going fine in my life. I started my, my uh, the, the, the politics done right just fine. Be, being able to, to work just with Facebook and YouTube and those things were bringing in enough on with your website and the corporatocracy cuts your the amount that you can make by 90%. Suddenly there's an issue. I have a daughter. I had it, my daughter was in medical school. Who would expect a 27-year-old sweetheart of mine to get a stroke? Not one stroke, but two strokes during medical school where I had to move to live in D.C., to take care of her. These, these things can happen to anyone, everyone, and we have to make sure that folks can see the existential nature of not having a good social safety net, the existential nature that other, people pay, other people's pain could somehow and sometime also become your pain or become you. That is what it's all about, folks. So please support the show however you can, because again, we are going nowhere. We are intent. We know most people are good, and we intend on making sure that everyone understands that we, the people of the United States, can actually make the difference. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this. Baby, I am what? Out!
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.